that might be handy. <laughs> Good on you. Good on you. Who's been busy? Busy week. Yeah. We come into this Christmas season and I don't know why, but everything has to happen. Work gets busy. I had a day off on Monday. I had one Monday off a month and I thought, yeah, this is nice. We had a great day and we celebrated a bit and did a bit of stuff around home. And then Tuesday I arrived in work and I find my calendar's full for the week. The stuff I had half planned, that's out the window, forget that. <laughs> it's, it's just crazy. We, we have, a, have a saying that we, we don't complete any jobs on Friday. We don't do handovers of jobs on Friday. So what happened this week? Yeah, we're finishing the last job at three o'clock on Friday afternoon. We're still, still doing the bit of design that needs to be done and the client's waiting in the showroom. That's life. That's life. But it's, it just creates this busyness and hecticness and you know, I've had this message to prepare and it's been floating around in my mind for quite some time but uh, uh, to get it on paper has been, has been a bit of an effort and uh, yesterday became a, a bit of a rush to try and tie it all together. So it's going to be a little bit disjointed but we'll see how we go. Father will fill in where, where I have fallen short and there will be, certainly be a few of those spots. I've been reading, this is a book that I picked up and I don't know where it came from, it appeared in our, our bookshelf probably five years ago in its first form and it's, it's intrigued me, it's, it, it examines into the being of who we are, the, the body and soul, the spirit and our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. And I, I've read it, I think I've read it every year. I gave it away and lost it, so I've, I've re-bought it, and it's, 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 this next version's quite good as well. So, part of this has come out of that, and part of this has come from, from from other stuff I've been reading. But where where I want to start is with the the story of Lazarus. We know that in in simple form, Lazarus, the brother of of Martha and Mary, was was ill and died and Jesus went and raised him from the dead and all lived happily ever after. And I think in, in the condensed form, that's, that's how we, we understand the story of Lazarus. But in reading through it, I've, I've found, found a lot greater depth in there and it, it has, a, has a relevance for us today. It's not just about a guy who died and was raised again. It's, there's something deeper in there. There's something a lot deeper. So... I'll start with, we'll, we'll, we'll read the story and uh, we'll see where we go. It's John 11, it starts at verse 1 and uh, Barry's not going to put it up. If you've got Bibles, open up and I'm going basically going to stay there so I've got a couple of bits we'll go around in a bit but uh, we'll see how we go. It, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, 
let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews were trying to stone you, and yet you are going back there. And Jesus answered, are there not 12, days, uh, sorry, 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by the daylight will not stumble, for he sees by the world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he, he went on to tell them, Our dear friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been talking of his death, but the disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, Let us go, that we may die with him. An interesting start. You read this, this part of the story and, and I've, you feel there's a greater reason for it happening the way it did. Jesus was, he was the ultimate nomadic preacher. And at this time, he was a long way off. He was days away. So how long did it take to get word to him? It was going to take, as we, we find later in the story, it took days, four days to get back to, to uh, Bethany. So how hard would it have been to send word? And Jesus had on other occasions just given the word and healing happened without him actually being there. And don't you love the eternal optimist Thomas? We're all doomed. Actually, there's an ad in there that is, they called him Didymus. And in Greek, Didymus means the twin. So they're not sure whether Thomas was a twin or whether he was double-minded. He wanted to be positive, but he also was negative. Story continues from verse 17. And on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was about three kilometres from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever... I've, I've repeated that. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. and said, the teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up and quickly went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews, who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, 
he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, they replied. And Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. And Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped in strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. We hear the words and we just sit with them for a moment. There's a lot of things going on in the story, but there's a deeper story and it has relevance for us today. And I believe that this is why the story has been recorded the way it is, for our deeper intent. It's not just that Lazarus died and Jesus brought him back to life. Yes, that's what happened. But is that the real story? I want to look at how we compartmentalise our stuff. And doing that has helped me gain a deeper understanding of this story. First question I had is, is what am I? Who am I? We all know that we're made in God's image. But what or who do we think God is that we are made in his image? There's some illustrators that will picture God as this old guy in the clouds, big white beard, lightning rod ready to strike. And I'm not too sure that that's quite accurate. God walked in the garden with Adam in Genesis 3.8. It suggested there was some physical form with God. God spoke to Noah and Abraham in visions and dreams, which suggest there's a spiritual form. In Genesis 17, God appeared to Abraham. He met with him with the promises, or with Abram, and changed his name to Abraham. God wrestled with Jacob and threw his hip. God appeared to Moses in the wilderness as fire in the not-burning bush. He appeared in a cloud of smoke on the mount when the commandments were given. And God was there as smoke and light as the Israelites wandered through the desert. So the word gives no single definition as the form of God. There are plenty of references to God's character, but not much that defines form. We know that God is love. We know that God is, is there for us. But we don't get a great understanding of God's form. We do know that we are created in God's likeness. We are his image. 
But which bit of us is his image? Is it our flesh? Is it our spirit? Is it our soul? In Genesis 1, 26 and 7, God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let him rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth and all the creatures that move along the ground. Notice that the reference for God here is plural. We're made in, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. It's not my image and my likeness. So suggestion that God has multiform. These multifaceted, maybe spirit, body and soul. Maybe the Trinity. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created them, male and female. That's left me with a totally different perspective of, of who God is and then who I am and how I am in relationship to my image of God, me being in the image of God. We, don't, we can't say that God is a man. We can say that God is a being and we are created in that image. Psalm 139.14 says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Genesis 2.7, the Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. So God created man, he was a physical being, and not until he breathed life into man did he become alive. The Greek word for the spirit there is pneuma. It's the same word for breath, it's the same word for wind, and it's the same word for air. It's the basis of the word that become pneumatic becomes air in our tyres, becomes air in the balloon, becomes something that we know is there that we cannot see, we cannot feel, but we can experience it and we know it's there. God breathed life. And we see that reference time and time again through Scripture. We see it in, with Ezekiel, with the, the valley of the dead bones. They come to life and then breathe life into them and they became alive. So man was made from dust. He had form, but no life, no spirit, until God breathed into his nostrils. The self of man came into power at the fall. But that, I'm not going to go there. That's a whole series of sermons in itself. So from that, the question is still, what am I and who am I? Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, the last second part of that verse, May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's one reference that Paul has and there's several others that he, he speaks of and others speak of. We are spirit, we are body and we are soul. There are three parts to who we are. The body, that's the easy bit to describe. It's, that's what we see. It's our physical bit. It's our flesh and bones. It's our heart and lungs. It's our 
blood and digestive system, our nervous system, it's, it's, it's what we are. It's the part that interfaces to the world around us. And we have sensors that gather information from around us and pass on those signals to the soul or the mind. We know if it's hot or cold, wet or dry, and we get up in the morning and we can decide how we're going to dress for the day. We see the good, we see the bad and we see the ugly and how that affects us and we file that information away too. We experience pleasure and pain and that too gets filed into our soul. Our spirit is the part that communicates with God or the Holy Spirit. And Paul sees it this way for the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 9. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, Paul, Paul and his team, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. When we believe, when we come to that point and say, Jesus, I believe, God, I believe in you, our spirit is immediately transformed to the image of God. We gain the ability to know God immediately to hear his desire for us, to feel his love for us. The communication we have in our spirit comes directly from God. It's that part that is immediately changed. The third part of us is our soul, or more commonly referred to as the mind. It's where we rationalise our thoughts, hopefully. We take the information provided by the body and we make choices and what to wear, whether to turn left or right, whether to turn the lights on or off, all of that. In God's design, this conscious part of our mind would not make decisions without consulting the spirit. Again, another sermon. But at the fall, Adam chose to have wisdom and knowledge for his mind, for his soul. And that took over control of who Adam was. 
And we, we suffer with that to this day. But there's, there's a part of our soul or mind that interferes with the process of the spirit communicating with God. Firstly, we have a self-will, a force within us that knows best. We don't need to consult God because we know what we're doing. We know we learned at school, we learned wherever. We know that self-will, that self-determination. I'm not saying it's evil. It's just not always the best thing for us to do. But then there's a subconscious part of our mind, the part where the good and the bad and the ugly memories are stored away. And we all have them. Some are just more traumatic than others. It, it's from this stored away memories that our habitual behaviour comes. The good and the bad, the conscious and the subconscious. I'm not going to go into a, a psychology lesson, but the basis of, of a lot of our addictions, whether it be they mild addictions or severe addictions, the basis of those are, can be rooted in traumatic activities that happened many years ago. Paul says in Romans 8.5, from the message version. Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle but never get around to exercising it in real life. Those who trust God's action in them find that God's spirit is in them, living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open into a spacious, free life. Focusing on self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God. That person ignores who God is and what he is doing. And God doesn't like being ignored. From the words out of Becoming Who You Are from Dutch Sheets, when we are born again, our spirit is saved instantly, our soul is not. Our spirit is made brand new at salvation, our soul is not. Our spirit looks like Jesus, but our soul does not. Our soul is a work in progress. What does this have to do with the Lazarus story? We can pick this up at verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour. Some versions will say it was a stench. For he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. 
When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped in strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. I see our subconscious mind, our place where we push down all of those oppressed memories as the tomb. That's Lazarus's tomb. We've got a stone over there, firmly in place, and no one's going to move that. That's going to, we're going to keep all of that stuff in there under a stone. No one's going to touch it. The strongholds that have developed in there are what's making the bad smell. The unresolved traumas from our past, they just fester away, creating more smell and more rot and more drama for us. We have them wrapped neatly in grave linen. Hopefully they look good. Keep them nice and warm. Keep them growing. We have well-wishing people wanting to help us mourn for our strongholds. The Jews that were with Mary, helping her mourn. They were just happy to be mourning. They weren't moving on anything, they were just mourning. Unfortunately, the mourners aren't there to help us deal with problems. They aren't there to help us move forward. And we can have a Thomas there in the background. He'll help us believe that it will never change. It'll never get any better. This is all just too hard to deal with. This is our lot in life. This is what we're stuck with. This is what we have to, have to deal with. Can we have you play some more, please? So Jesus pulled no punches. He was blunt and straight to the point. In verse 33, he, he didn't say, Hey, Lazarus, you want to come out and join us again? He called out, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, get out of the tomb. In verse 44, Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Set him free. He wasn't pleading. He wasn't nice. He wasn't polite about it. Jesus was very blunt and to the point. Get out of there and get that stinking clothes off you and, and get on with life. So, do you have something buried deep in your tomb? Something that will be good to see the light of God? Is there something you need prayer for? See, the things in our tomb can be, can be just anger, can be depression, can be addiction, can be something quite deeper than that. Jealousy. I think we all can have stuff in our tombs. We all have stuff buried back there and from the past. 
And it's not until we get to a point that we start working on that, we start working on the things in our soul, that we can allow our spirit to take over who we are. That our spirit can take control of our comings and goings in our day. And say, it could be anger. could be we've had oppression from a parent. It could be that our parents have separated. We've lost a, a close a parent or a, a close relative when we were young and it's affected us. It could be that we had a, a second grade teacher, sorry, but they could have been giving us a hard time and we've carried that. It could be something much deeper. Maybe there was abuse in our childhood. But it doesn't have to be that bad. It can be just as simple as a sibling that spoke some unkind words over us several times. And we end up hiding that. And it affects who we are as we get older. It gives us that anger reaction. It puts us into points of depression. If you want prayer, if you've got somewhere you want to go deeper with this, if you want to pray about some things in there, if you've got stuff in your tomb you want to bring out, I'm going to sit here for a while and we'll pray about it. If you want, we will. Otherwise, we're all free to go. Thank you. Have a great day. So if you like prayer, thanks Rob, that was awesome. So if you like prayer, then the altar's always open, yeah? The altar's always open here. But if you like prayer, then do that. As we just, we just want to finish off with this. Let's just finish off with part of reckless love, just to sort of, just cement this in, I guess, I think. stand with us for I suppose